Welcome to Vox Vomitus, also known as Word Vomit. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Writer's Showcase. I am your host, Jennifer Ann Gordon, the author of the Kindle award-winning novel, Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, as well as the Hotel series, and today by one of my favorite people in the entire world, author Terry Shepard, author of Chasing Vega, the upcoming Chasing the Captain. He also wrote a children's book called Juliet and the Mystery Bug, as well as several other things that we will uncover perhaps today. Welcome, Terry. This is a treat. I'm so glad to be with you again. <laughs> oh my gosh. So everybody who's watching, Terry and I are good friends and we were on a Zoom together earlier today. So this is like such a treat to see Terry twice in one day. I'm getting spoiled. Well, you know, I don't know if you guys understand kind of how this magic happens, but sometimes you meet somebody and like instantaneously there's this connection. You find like you start checking these boxes, you know, do you like this genre? Yes. Are you a comic nut? Yes. Do you like is this certain genre of comic books? Yes. And I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, I wonder, could I, in my rock and roll days, could I have fathered this child? <laughs> so, but I got to tell you, there's, and you know this, not only is she a fantastic writer, but she's a fantastic human being. So it's an honor to be here with, with her tonight, the talk shop. I think she, she might have disappeared too. Good grief. What happened? What happened there? I, I felt like you said the words, every once in a while, magic happens. And <laughs> I <went> disappeared. <laughs> Completely gone. I was like, why am I just seeing Terry's face right now? And I'm not on the screen. Well, I was just giving you nothing but love. So it's okay. Oh, well, I'm going to give you nothing but love. So this is a very exciting time for you because your next book in your do you call it the Chasing Vega series? No, you call it your your detective. Uh, Ramirez thrillers. Yeah, yes. This is my protagonist, and um, she's a Latina cop who is um, a ten year veteran of her force. She's based on a real live human being that I know from I've known for a quarter century, and um, she was one of the first Latinas and one of the first women on her force, and she did not have a good ride. I mean, if you think about how things were. You know, now 28, 29 years ago, she'd been retired for a couple of years. It was not good for women um, or, or minorities in what was then the ultimate patriarchy, the last of the um, male chauvinist pig organization. Yeah, I mean, and I, I, I don't want to be controversial by saying, well, perhaps it still is <laughs> a little bit like that in some places. Um, so, yes, you have this series uh, with a female Latina protagonist, which is great. Um she's a cop and i feel like right now the climate that we're in there's a lot of people saying don't write about cops if you're a man don't write a woman yeah if you know all of these things if you are caucasian do not write a, a you know a, a person of color at all and i feel like you're here checking off all the boxes of like, I'm going to break all the rules and I'm basing this character on a very good friend of mine and she has no problem with it. It, it was actually pretty much her idea because she had so much um, stress and challenge that we were talking one day at her place and, and she was telling me one of her stories and I said, what if I could rewrite that with a different ending? Yeah. She goes, wow, would that ever feel good? And that was kind of how the idea for Vegan oh. It was, um, uh, but you know, my, I guess I have a different outlook on this than most people in that um, the only way that I can really understand about who you are 
is if I'm willing to walk beside you. And I, throughout my life, even before I was an author, I have all been all about the disadvantage about women, about minorities, about survivors. I mean, anybody in any of those worlds, um, I want to help. I'm, I think that our purpose on this earth is to um, alleviate suffering. That's what we're yeah. put here to do. And everything in my corporate existence was focused on that. And when I decided I was going to write, what I wanted to do was I wanted to create a cast that had every kind of diversity. So Jess is Latina. Her partner is LGBTQ. Our uh, doc, our medical examiner is on the autism spectrum. The guy who runs the FBI office is African-American. And so I have all of these different, you know, cultural and racial experiences that I had to learn about. So right. I, so know, I, I feel like you do such a good job because I know you do extensive research, like personally with people, you know, but also like, you know, you, you were mentioning earlier today that, you know, now that you're an author, you can call a cop and they'll tell you yeah. everything. Whereas before you were, you were a reporter. Is that what it was? Well, early on, like when I, when I was in high school, I thought that I was going to be the next great you know, radio and TV star. So I took whatever job I could. And my job was in the morning, I would drive my bike to the radio station before school. And I would run the control board for our farm director. So I was reading, I, I didn't know that pork bellies was bacon until I was in my 20s. But I was quoting the pork belly prices every morning. And then I'd go to school and after school, I'd ride back and I did news in the afternoon. So I was talking to the cops about stuff. And of course, it was a, it's a completely different relationship with journalists than it yes. is. When you're an author, they want to tell you their story. They want you to know everything and they want you to get it right. Um, and so that, that part of it was really, really great. But the, the main motivation for me, Jennifer, was that I wanted to create heroes that, you know, people could say, Hey, I look like that person or I, yeah. I live in that body and I could be a hero too. And that's been. More than the sales volume of the books, when I get an email from a kid who's on the autism spectrum, I get the most email about Joey Price. They love Joey Price. I love that. And and they say, thank you, because I never dreamt I could do this. And this guy did, even though he's fictional. This guy did. So maybe I can. Right. And, and you don't have to be, I don't think uh, your color, your gender, your sexual preference has anything to do with your ability to tell a story. But what I think you, we all do have as authors is we have a responsibility to tell the truth and to try and understand as much about the characters we create, get inside their head and their hearts and understand who they are. That's yeah, I feel like going. as an author, like not only is our responsibility telling other people's stories or telling stories in general, our responsibility, and maybe this isn't just as authors, maybe this is as humans, is listening. Yeah. and. Like my job is to listen. And if there is um, somebody who wants their story told, but they don't want to tell it, I'll gladly help them tell it. But if they want to tell their story themselves, but they're afraid to, I will like pump them up as much as I can. Like I would rather, I'd rather everybody be able to be free to tell their own stories, but sometimes we just can't, or we don't want to. So guys, this is what would happen if Jennifer and I went out for a drink somewhere. We would be in this place and we would be talking to each other. And all of a sudden we'd both stop 
and we'd be like super quiet because there's this interesting conversation going on over here. And we want to make sure that we get it all down because that could go in our books. <laughs> See, that gives me the chills. Uh, I feel like as authors, we lost so much of that during the pandemic because we were just like yeah. locked with our own voices in our heads. And I feel like the most interesting conversations I had during the pandemic were like my husband and I going, is the faucet making a weird noise? Yeah. Or like, does the toilet always run this long? Is that well, weird? Should we be worried? And I'm like, I don't want to put that in my book. Well, <laughs> it's so odd. Did you have this experience? I mean, I went with, um, when things were starting to open up again, and when we were still masking, you know, we'd be in a restaurant, you only take your mask off when you're eating. So I was, and it was the restaurant I went to with my buddy was virtually, you know, empty. And I saw this, this woman like at the other end sitting in a booth. And I was thinking to myself, why am I staring at her? And it was just like, oh, she it, didn't have a mask on. Yeah. I was and it was just like, face. and also it's just like, oh, a, a different person's face. I've just been looking at yeah. my family's faces. Um, I still haven't eaten inside a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. I know it takes some, I think it takes some courage to, to go back out there and do that again. Yeah. Yeah. My I've eaten wife, outside a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm starting to like see people without masks, like people I know that, and that's been wonderful to be like, Oh, this is what the bottom of your face looks like. I almost forgot. Well, and hugs feel <gasps> wonderful. And now. you know, what's funny is I was never a hugger, but the past, like, you know, when I see people that I haven't seen in a while and we have hugged, it like brings a tear to my eye. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not dead inside. <laughs> well, we, my wife and I had a long talk about this when this all started, because part of the reason we came down here was to help our kids with our grandkids. And we knew when they were starting to go back to school, even when it was still masking and all that stuff, that we would be picking them up. And, you know, we're what uh, what they would call senior citizens <laughs> at higher risk. And my wife has zero immune system. She's a two-time ovarian cancer survivor. Mm-hmm. And we had this long conversation and we decided that our life was going to be about quality and not quantity. So we were going to take all necessary precautions. We masked, we didn't go anywhere except what we had to do to be with the kids and grandkids. But we, our decision was if something's going to happen and we're going to end up dying, at least our grandkids will have had great memories of grandparents in the interim. And um, I'm so glad we did that because part of what it's needed was exactly what you and Roman are feeling. You know, when you're at home, you want to be playing with your friends. So anybody that comes in and can get down on your level and I, I I can be a very good 10 year old or a very good five. (laughs) Well, I just remember we had like contractors coming into our house during, uh, the the lockdown because we had to get our boiler replaced and then like you know just little things and like I found myself like having really in-depth conversations with um hi Allison hi Allison (laughs) um yeah like I would long talks with our our um our pest control guy yeah (laughs) like Allison did you do that too I mean that's just we all did that any kind of human interaction yeah oh i I, it's somebody i haven't talked to before i'm like i didn't know you wanted to go to ireland man who's sealing up our mouse hole like (laughs) i think that helps our writing because we don't all of a sudden we're really really focused on those kind of details and sometimes that's what you need to know to create a good character you know the other day and this is a true story um i follow a lot of animals on instagram 
and one of yeah. my favorite animals passed away. So oh. I was crying and Roman yeah. saw me and he was like, are you okay? And I said, so-and-so died. And he's like, I don't know who that is. And I was like, it's one of the blah, blah cats from Instagram. And he's well, like, oh. celebrate stuff too. I don't know if you follow the author Owen Lalkin and he's a great guy. He lives in Canada and he's all about dogs. His, his stories have dogs in them Love it. and he, he does rescues. So his his dog, Lucy, has her own page. And she's been wearing the cone of shame because she has this thing on her nose. And the other day, it came off. And it was like Yay! a... <laughs> I know. We found we found ourselves like celebrating a stranger's pet's birthdays. We're like, oh, it's, you know, Coconut Pie's birthday today. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, I think it teaches us like the littler, the littler things that make up who we are when we have like no other stimulation outside our house. Like I didn't know I would become obsessed with inner Instagram cats. Yeah. But that's yeah. just, so well, how do you think the pandemic changed like the course of your detective Ramirez series? Did it change the course or did you already have a plan? I made, um, stayed the same? I made the decision a lot of authors made, and that was to ignore the pandemic when I was writing Jess. So Captain has nothing about the pandemic in it. Um, I have, you know, under some of the other pen names that I create stuff in, mm -hmm. I've done some stuff that had specifically had to do with the challenges of pandemic because, you know, all of us who get into this author thing at one time or another are unload trauma, right? In our story. Oh, we do yeah. One time or another, I feel like it's every time. Well, there's <laughs> At least all somewhere these little there. dark corners of our brain where we have this junk that's been doing this for our lifetime that likes to poke its head out when the muse is singing. Yeah, so and it's I have easier than therapy together. to just like create a villain. I think yeah. it's like, oh, well, I'm writing because I, I went all to my shrink. I mean, she said, you know, when I came down here, I was at loose ends, I didn't know what I wanted to do, and she said, you spent your whole life caring about other people and making sure you took care of your family. You don't need to worry about that anymore. What do you want to do? And I had no idea. I asked that question to everybody. If you could work for love and not for money, what would it be? Jen Jennifer and I have had, had that conversation. And she said, you need to go figure that out. And so we decided to give writing a year. I immersed myself totally in it. And these unexpected gifts, I mean, within the space of 18 months, I've made some of the best friends of my life. I know. Isn't it? This in common. It's just great. Yeah. You know, and it's, uh, I love the writing community. I love it so much. I've made, like you said, like it's the best friends I could ever have are like fellow writers that I've met online. Um, so you brought something up all on your own. I didn't really have to bring it up. You have one pen name that I know of that I won't say that pen name. Do you have multiple pen names? Um, I actually have three. Oh, right in oh I knew another one. Genres. Yeah. So, I have right in three different genres. So, so the one I know about, obviously, besides, you know, you, Terry Shepard, mm -hmm. um, and I won't say this author's name, but <laughs> yeah. they write steamy romance. Yeah. Yes. That's steamy. the one that's right now. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I bet. All that stuff sells, but, um, I did that on a bet. I had one of my, one of a very famous author that we would all know if I said her name. Oh my gosh! Sarah. Challenged me, said she. Oh, Allison, I, she was the pen names. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
Well, yeah, that's that's right, Allison. I mean, that that's kind of what what happens. But I got this challenge because this woman said to me, "We're craftspeople; we can write anything." And I said, I, "You know, I don't think so. I think my thing is thrillers." And she said, "I'll tell you what; I'll make a donation to your favorite nonprofit if you give me five thousand words in the genre that I specify." And we, as you know, we have a granddaughter who has Down syndrome, so yeah. you know that a check to the Down Syndrome Association of Jacksonville, Florida sounded pretty good. So I was all in and I, I did what I did for Jessica. I researched the genre. She said, you need to write it in erotica. So, so I she gave you erotica, not yeah. romance, just like you're writing. She, yeah. And I didn't know the difference, you know? So I'm like, it's a slippery really slope these days. Oh my gosh. Well, but I, so I did it, you know, I did the, did the research and I gave her the 5,000 words, but as with everything else, Colleen, my wife reads everything and she read it. And when she was done, she goes, Woo, I need a cigarette and I want to know. What next. <laughs> so I have to ask, and this is probably too personal, but I'm going to ask anyways, like what has writing erotica and romance done for your relationship? Um, Cause I know you said no. she reads every chapter yep. and Obviously, writing erotica, you have to get certain things about women correctly because there's plenty of websites out there that are like men writing women, and a lot of that's erotica. And you read it and go, they don't know where the uterus is. Like, well, they don't understand that that's. <laughs> I did what I did for writing Jess, and that was that I went out and I found the two best editors in that space in the world. And I paid one of them a lot of money. <laughs> the other one that I'm still using is much more reasonable, but I wanted to, I didn't want to get it wrong. And uh, you're right. I mean, you do, you learn the great thing about being an author. And I especially, especially the thing I've, I've, I've learned that's been so wonderful about writing about people I don't know, about cultures that are different than my own, is that you do feel closer to them as a result of the fact that you've walked with them. And I think, one of the challenges we've got as uh, humanity is that we focus way too much on what's wrong with other people that don't look or act like us, as opposed to what we have in common and what's right. And 99% of those things are the same. We just may express them differently. So for me to go into a, an Hispanic household and have honest to goodness Mexican food, not the stuff that you buy at Mexican restaurants, but the real stuff. And to learn about how important faith is to them. And, you know, Jess is totally committed to family. It's family first. I learned that from spending many a night with a Hispanic family. Um, and that, and those things, I think, um, they do impact you as a human being. And, and the thing that I learned, uh, about, um, relationships, I guess is the best way to politically correctly put it is that there is a lot of nuance that is where the real magic is. And it's I mean, in like, the relations, in yeah, the relationship. Not what you see on the screen, right? Whether no. you watch it in the movies or whether you chase it down on one of the porn sites, it's not that. It's what happens before and after what you see on the, on the screen. Yeah. Oh, I like thinking of it like that. Yeah. So, so your romantic erotic novels, they're on a scale, on a steamy scale. Are they 10 being pretty much pornography, like 50 shades and darker, or five being 
a couple steamy scenes, but but mostly fade to black. Are you like between a five and a eight or a the challenge I've always had with every kind of writing is that that there has to be a plot and the yes. characters have to grow. Yes. So after that first chapter, um, I had to figure out what the character arc was going to be for these two people. It was an a, it was the kind of love affair that you it's it's a situation where everybody in the world knows that you're right for each other. But you two don't Uh-oh. believe it. You think that there's somebody better for the other person. Oh my gosh, are you writing the Roman and Jennifer story? <laughs> well, that's that's where that's where I went with it. Is that I tried to imagine if I was with somebody that I really really appreciated that I had this kind of um, physical relationship with, but that I really wanted what was best for them, and I wanted it so much that I wanted it more than my own happiness. That. I just couldn't see. I was blind to the fact that, you know, I would be blind to the fact that that this person was the person I was supposed to be with. And so you have one, this is the tension that kind of goes through this story is everybody understands this. And it isn't until the woman actually gets engaged that they begin to realize that there might be something that they're missing. See, this to me doesn't sound like erotica. That sounds like a romance. Yeah. That's what my editor said. So the second book, the second book I didn't put under that genre when I, I, I submitted it today to Amazon. And the second book is, is a, a romance story because the people that are buying it, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a five star Amazon hit. It's, 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 you know, paying the, paying the, the bills or yeah. Um, and, but I don't, you know, I don't, I don't promote that person as me. Um, nobody knows who it is. Um, uh, that must give you such a sense of freedom on one hand, but do you ever just feel like shouting it from the rooftops? Like, that's me. I'm so-and-so because it is doing no, arguably pretty well. No, no? I, I don't really. I mean, the you're not in it for the fame. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm loving the science of figuring out how to make the Terry Shepard brand something that might be more of a household word. And I love the fact that people are associating the name Terry Shepard with good stuff, whether it be my narrations or my books. I really like that a lot. And I'm an old marketing guy. So trying to figure out the secret sauce about how to do that is the fascinating part. But for me, the moments where I get really choked up, and I'll tell you two, I'll tell you one with Mystery Bug and one with with Jess. With Jessica, the day I got an email from a young Latina woman, teenager who said, I think I'm interested in law enforcement. I had to, you know, I had to like take the rest of the day off because I, I, you know, I couldn't just to process the fact that I had touched someone's lives because part of the reason we have these paradigms about cops is because we just don't know them, right? They're like any, any group that you've been with. We all have stories of every job we've been in where there've been that, there's been that person from hell that made it bad. The problem with police is when that happens, people die and it's very public. I would say that, and I, I know some cops that are not very good people, but I would say that, you know, 95% of the people that I know that are, in, that are in law enforcement are just like you and me. Yeah. They would love to deescalate. They don't want to arrest you. They want to, they, they're, 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 they're in it for your safety and they make great sacrifices. So that when that young woman who was of Latina extraction in a group, which typically has a, you know, they're, they're not as, they're not as negative about the police as maybe African-Americans are, but they have this distrust because of profiling. To see that happen just 
this melted me. But the thing that really got to me was when uh, Mystery Bug, Juliet the Mystery Bug is basically a, a Dr. Seuss picture book that teaches masking, social distancing, and it teaches kids the science behind vaccines. And my the people that I used to help me write it were the people at Centers for Disease Control. Because when this was going on, <clears throat> we had a very different administration in, in place who was not about getting the truth out. And these guys at CDC were just so welcoming to me and said, here's how you make a mask, you know, and here's exactly how you should wash your hands. So I put these things in the book. And since it was Juliet in the mystery bug, my granddaughter with Down syndrome, everything we did, we did together. So when the book finally came, I got the first copy of it. And her older brother, Hudson, who at the time was nine, was reading it to her. We flipped to the page where the hand washing was. And I have the pictures of how it's done. And it's in Dr. Seuss. You can imagine the Dr. Seuss language. And she just, we got video of it. She starts doing the thing that we'd been practicing week after week. And I was shooting it, but thank goodness her dad was shooting it too, because I couldn't see. I mean, I was just, I had to leave the room because I didn't want to explain to my grandchildren why I was crying my eyes out. Right. But that, the reason that Juliet and the Mystery Bug gets so much of my attention is because everybody who reads that book tells me stories like that. They all, it's, there's something about that Dr. Seuss tetramic pentameter. We all remember Sam, I am and green eggs and ham and, and people are, can recite to me. One of the things that I I did with a TV station was we invited all of their clients who had kids to have their kids tape one line on their cell phone from the book. And then that TV station put together a flash mob reading of it that they played right before Saturday night live on Saturday night. Oh, that's and, an incredible idea. But they remember, they, these kids remember that and they're going to remember it for the thing about these things is that they're going to be other flu seasons. Yeah. They're going to be times when they're going to see people with masks and they'll understand why. They'll understand the science behind it. They'll know how to make them. They'll know why they should wash their hands for 30 seconds and they'll, they won't be afraid of shots. I mean, that's the other thing. Yes. I know. Exactly. Shots. If you make that something that, is you take the fear out of it and then you take the unknown out of it to kids that honestly it's that's going to do more so whatever genre that i'm in i try and channel that i try and think about okay when the book is done and they put it down i want people to like exhale and go wow there was there was something magic that happened to me in that and i don't always you know i don't always succeed um, but that's I, I don't think any author always succeeds in that. Like sometimes we're just like, well, this, the, I don't know what that was. Even if it's just a chapter, you're like, that wasn't my best work. Yeah. Sometimes it's yeah. just like getting from point A to point B. Sometimes you'll go back and reread it and go, I see the beauty in it. Yeah. But I missed it the first though. time. But- oh my gosh. Though when the muse is singing and you read that, that one chapter that you get, that's really good and you read it back and. And then you see it like six months later in the book and you go, man, yeah, I wish every chapter had been like <laughs> I feel like as authors, I, I know for me, I alternate between like rereading my work and going, I'm a genius. <laughs> yeah. Or rereading it and saying, I don't know how to make sentences. <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't be writing. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be writing. It's like, it, and it's like chap- chapter to chapter, sometimes paragraph to paragraph, like, I'm going to win a, win a Bram Stoker award. Yeah. And the next one, I was just like, oh, no, no, nobody's going to like this. No. You know? The difference between you and me, Jennifer, is that you, 
you know, I, I keep saying this to you, but there's going to be in three years, you're going to be at the top of the charts. You're going to be nationally, internationally known. Stop and I'll be able to say, Hey, I, I did a podcast with her back. <laughs> I <do> this stuff. <laughs> you're too kind. Um, so I haven't even talked to you. There's so many things I want to talk to you about. Uh, you're an audiobook narrator. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, I know you come from like the radio business. Was that just, and you were always a book lover. Was that just like a natural progression or did you like get there in Florida and say, I need to make a buck? You know what, Jennifer, so much of life is just trusting the universe. Um, you know, about six months after I was writing, Pam Stack came into my life. Pam Stack is the founder of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. She, and she, she was, changed my life. She Well, she was having cataract surgery. So she said, will you sub for me on my podcast? So I did. And after you know, doing it for three weeks. She says, I'm not coming back. It's yours. You do it. And so what that did was that opened the door for me to be able to talk with these amazing authors at every level of success, about questions that I had. But part of my shtick was that when I would open it up, you know, and I did it with you, I'd say, before we bring Jennifer on, let's hear the first stanza of her latest book. Yes. And that honestly, that made me go, Oh my gosh, I loved it so much. I want to go back on your show just so I can hear you read part <laughs> yeah. of my new book. I was like, we don't even have to do an interview. <laughs> just just read to me. Well, that's <laughs> see, that's the other thing is that there are there are so many poorly narrated books out there. Oh my gosh. There are some really great narrators. There which, are some great uh, ones. Starting- I lucked out with mine. Yes, you did. Oh my gosh, you gotta yeah, they're so good. Um, but I mean, I went through the audition process, so I got a lot of auditions and, and I come from a theater background. So I know that there's just a different level of quality for any art form. There are people who are just starting out who, you know, maybe just need some more work. (laughs) They will. I mean, this is the cool thing about what Clubhouse has done, I think, for the profession is that narrators have gravitated to the Clubhouse app. And we have during the course of the week, maybe half a dozen different opportunities to talk with each other. There is, you know, a one-on-one room, which you can go into. And if you're just trying to figure out how to do this, um, there are people that will listen to you and, and feed back to you. I've, I've made so many friends in that space and learned a ton. Uh, and you're right. It goes back. The thing about narration is it truly is theater because especially in the case of dialogue, what you have to do, you can't read that line. You have to get into that person's head and imagine what they're thinking as they're speaking. Because what happens in dialogue is that people get insights when they talk. Even now, you know, as we're talking to each other, I'll think of something and I'll say, oh yeah, I got to make sure I say that. And in your delivery, you have to channel that. So when you're reading somebody's line and all of a sudden they get an insight, it can't just be, oh my gosh, I got a great insight. And I think this is what we should do. It should be, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I just got this insight. We got to think of what we're going to do. You know, it's, it's, it's that I'm, I'm overacting, but. Yeah. Well, that, I, that's... I remember, um, what I loved and what I love about audiobooks and just hearing other people read my words is sometimes just like the different take that they'll take on it than I had. Cause it's like in my head, I've said all the words out loud a million times. And then I, like when I would hear like a narrator say something, they would say it just slightly different than. I said it in my head and I'm like, oh, like there's magic there. Well, and if you, if, if you find somebody that's got chemistry with you that understands who you are and you become friends with, 
and they work really hard to try and tell the story the way that you thought about it. That's when, I mean, I, I get chills. Um, I, I heard Cynthia, Cynthia Farrell to read, um, Chasing Vega. She's, she's bilingual. She's half Hispanic. She's a Broadway actress. I spent primo dollars for her, but we became friends. So I didn't have to pay the full rate. I mean, she gave me a little bit of a discount, but to hear her interpret that, this is another thing that I think is really interesting is that you talk about translations. Um, when I decided to translate Vega into Spanish, I didn't hire somebody who would just translate the words. My direction to them was, look, you are a person of Latino extraction. These are the plot points. Make it happen as if it's coming out of your mind and your heart. You have lessons to change. And the book that I got from her, and the other thing was I got a really, really good Spanish language editor who also you know, basically understand six dialects and has lived in countries in South America. So she knows she's walked that path. What I got was this amazing book that's a little different than the English version, but totally resonates with that community. Yeah. So um, I I love this relationship between narrator and author. To me, it's reminiscent for me of like comic book writer and comic book artist and it's probably it was similar to you with uh you worked with an illustrator for Juliet and the mystery bug but you and i are both comic book fans so i feel like there's so many relationships um creatively like with being a writer being an artist that you really have to find the right chemistry for like if it doesn't exist it you can see it on the page when it's just like oh these that's just an artist who was hired who just drew exactly what they were told. Yep. Yep. They, you well, can see it. That's, you know, one of the, one of the more fascinating experiences that I had in my life was, um, uh, one of my friends is Jeff Johns, who yes. you, you know, is one of the, well, kind of- I don't know. him. <laughs> I, <laughs> I know um, of him and bow down in his glory. <laughs> when, when I was in, I got to spend the day with him one, one time when I was in LA and he was still with DC. And what we did was we went into the room where the team that created the Flash TV series works, where the showrunner works and the writers work. And he went through the process with me. It's uh, an amazing room with a lot of windows. It's like most places in LA. If you walk walk around outside, you wouldn't even know that magic was going on there. But one wall is one big floor-to-ceiling whiteboard. And he took me through. He had him leave up the stuff from the previous day because you don't have time when you're working a series to sit like you and I do and take six months or three months even to get it. You have to churn these things out in a week. And so it's very intense. And the foundation that they have for all this, and the Disney guys do this too, is that they spend a lot of time defining the characters. What would they do? What's their backstory? Every Disney character has this huge binder. I've seen them with their backstory in them. And so that's that's the Bible, right? We understand what the, what the world is like and then who the characters are and what they have to do every day is try and figure out how to put them in harm's way, how to have them learn something that's meaningful to the audience and then how they prevail. And that's the, you know, the three act structure that we're used to. But to actually sit in that room, there was nobody else there, but Jeff and me. And I could feel it was like, it was like being in Sedona. I don't know if you've ever been to Sedona. 
I haven't, but I've heard that like just the energy of the place yeah. is like vibrating. You cannot believe in crystals or paranormal or anything. You go to Sedona when you leave, you you have a different understanding of how that energy stuff works. But in that room, um, that that fired my my desire to really understand how to purpose Jessica, the Jessica character in these various worlds. So one of the things that that you know that I did was I actually hired a graphic guy, a comic writer, comic illustrator to do the first chapter of Chasing Vega for me. And um, I hired a colorist. It's a different person who did the color. Yep. And did you hire a letterer too? Did you, did you go the whole million? Well, I didn't have the money. I mean, yeah. it's $150 a page for this stuff. I know. I used to, I, I only published three issues of a full comic book before I was like, and I'm out of money. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, oh my gosh, talk about another fan base. The minute, and they're all, it's very tight. That whole community is so tight. So when, you know, all of a sudden, I heard from Jeff Johns. I mean, I, I went out on, you know, Upwork and hired this dude in South Florida to draw and the word got back, <laughs> you know, this is how tight that community is. He says, what are you doing? I said, well, I want to put you, you won't answer. You're not responding to my text. I've got <laughs> a guy to do this. Let's, I want to, I want to see if I can do it. Um, but that is kind of neat is to try and imagine, you know, and Disney's so good at this. I mean, it's everything they do is on a, a coffee mug or something, but how do you deploy Jessica Ramirez on a coffee mug? So she has the same impact as she does in the story. Yeah. That's the fun part is to figure that out. I, I, I have a coffee mug series in my merch section, which has a bunch of her quotes, you know, underestimate me. It'd be the last thing you ever do. You know, that's the stuff yeah. you would say. And I've seen women that have sent me pictures with that, holding that up and they're going, yeah, baby, that's me. I um, love it. But that's the idea. You know, you think about these personalities and, and, as, and as authors, we kind of end up being part of that whole world too, right? Yeah. And there are people that, that love reading your stuff but they love you even more because of the amazing person that you are, the authentic person you are. Yeah. I think, you know, and we talked about this earlier today. It's like, you know, loving the artist, the author, like knowing them. And also it's, there's like a, a trust you build up. Yeah. Like, like I, there's authors that I just trust implicably with their craft that I don't even need to read the blurb of the book. I don't need to know anything about it. The second it's up for pre-order, if I can't get an ARC of it, yeah, I'm like, you know, now that like I, I get sent free books, I'm just like, let's see if I can get it for free first. Yeah. Sometimes I get it for free and I buy it. Like sometimes I'll, you can't wait. Yeah. I'm like, I'll right. buy the Kindle and I'll buy the hard copy just so I'll never be like without it. And then there's a few books that I have on Audible, on Kindle and the physical copy. Because I just like don't want to like once I dive into that world, like I think I would just have a panic attack if I was midway through like a Josh Mallerman novel and I couldn't finish it. Yes. I'd be like, "Oh my gosh, I'm stuck in this line and I don't have the book," you know. So, do you have do you have like a favorite that you go back to again and again when you need inspiration, just to remind yourself? Oh, um, you know, weirdly, my favorites for inspiration are Shirley Jackson, which is not weird, mm -hmm. uh, but also Anne Sexton, the poet. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, Alfred Lord Tennyson. Yes. See, this is the interesting thing, is that oh, the, sometimes the things that motivate us are way outside of our genre. 
It's um. I mean, and there's plenty, plenty, plenty of contemporary authors that I absolutely adore and and do revisit their work. But like, I'm talking since I was a kid, it's been, you know, The Haunting of Hill House. Yeah. You, Doctor Martin, by uh, <laughs> Anne Sexton, and The Lady of Shalott by Alfred Lord Tennyson. Like, there, it, I have quotes from all of them tattooed on my body. <laughs> See, this is the thing. You through through your adventures, you were exposed to that stuff very early. I mean, I was I was Mad Magazine and the Hardy Boys back then. So. I was Nancy Drew, but then I stumbled into like a pile of old books in my house and was like, "What is this?" Your life changed, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Well, that's the other thing that people have been advising me as a writer is to be careful about what I write for adults because the people that are my kids' books fans are going to grow into them. And that brought, a, brought back a memory for me of C.S. Lewis. You know, I was a huge Narnia fan growing yeah. up. And um, I happened to be, I saw in the library, the screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis, you know, and he wrote a lot of sci-fi. Yeah. But I brought the screw tape letters and I, you know, I was still like in junior high and that thing was, you know, the devil talking, some nuts thing that I couldn't, I I wasn't ready for it yet. I know. Sometimes you're like, this is over my head. <laughs> yeah. Over my head. Like the, I remember the first Stephen King book I read. I was little, little. I was 10. And my uncle was staying with us. And all I saw was a book with a cat on the cover. And I thought, oh, a book with about a cat. And I was exposed to, to Pet <laughs> Cemetery at the age of 10. So I'm like, that's like the defining memory of my childhood. And yeah. I feel like it's like 90% to blame for my personality. But Was it, was it traumatic for you? Um, not really. Honestly, like it was, I remember being petrified and sad at the same yeah. time, which I feel like for people who know my work, yeah. being scared and sad is yeah. the whole gig of yeah. what, what I'm about. But I remember very early into like, maybe I was like a chapter in knowing that it was not a book meant for me. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I better hide this in my dollhouse. <laughs> Because I'm not giving it back. I'm yeah. not giving it back. And I would like go up in the afternoons and like hide behind my dollhouse and just like read Pet Cemetery. Yeah. And so I was scared, but mainly I was scared somebody was going to take it away from me. And I, it definitely probably should have been taken away from me, but mm-hmm. I'm glad it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, in the, I, I guess another thing that I think about, and, and, and all of us as authors, Stephen King's one of them, is that, um, you know, people after a while, when you achieve a certain degree of success, have this expectation of perfection. From, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Chrissy Teigen's the latest one that's, that's giving all these Mia culpas about her very early tweets that were, that were, you know, not very nice. Um, and I'm proud of her for, you know, calling them what they are. But I think one of the things that I, that I hope will happen as people get to know us as human beings is that we're all imperfect. And that's one thing we share with the, with one another is that, you know, our imperfections are really what make us beautiful. And what's, what's missing in this world is compassion. Right? That is very true. For that. So when I, when I write, I try and, I try and at least weave some sort of message of that, about that in there. It's always there, but for the grace of the universe, go I, uh, in but that. I, I feel like I feel the same way as like even crafting a villain. I'm always just like, you always, you have to find like the heart of them and the part of them in their memories of when they weren't a bad person and why they think they're not a bad person now. So I just like, I'm fascinated by 
humans in general and like how screwed up we all are. Yeah. Yeah. I love villains that do wrong things for the right reasons. Yeah. When they really think they're like, I'm doing the right thing. And you're like, you are not doing the right thing. (laughs) Um, I love that. So uh, before we end in the recent past few years, if you will, like what are the, like the few books, the five books that you've read that you're just like, this is like the voice of a generation. Like, you know, like you just, we read a lot. Yeah. And every once in a while, like a book will fly over your, like fly into your life. And you're just like this, what books do yeah. we need to know about? Um, well, you know, there's, I, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit cold about that because I, I read to learn. So okay. um, there's a, a Lee Goldberg is the guy who taught me my plotting style. So I love reading Lee Goldberg stuff. Um, Raymond Chandler, the first chapter of the big sleep is poetry to me. Um, dare me by Megan Abbott. If you've ever, <gasps> read and bury me deep. I mean that bury me deep. When I read bury me deep, I, I, it was, it was before I was writing fiction, but I made the decision. There was no way I could ever even approach that. So why bother? Oh you know? my gosh. I love that you just brought up Megan Abbott. Yeah. She's, she's one of the four. So when I started out, I wrote to four of my favorite authors for help. You know, I said, give me one thing that you recommend for a guy in his sixties who's trying to write fiction. And they all more than just answered that one thing. They became friends. And I'm a huge Megan Abbott fan. Hey, Lori. But hey, Lori. So, um, uh, yes, absolutely. And the, uh, the other thing is that there's, there's some nonfiction stuff. If you read David McCullough's book, Truman, the 10 pages where he describes Truman at the Senate building when he gets the word from Steve Early to come to the White House. And he knows why. He knows. Nobody has said the president has died, but he knows. The way that David McCullough describes that is great writing. And then today, there's one, a fresh one right now. If you're a New Yorker person, there's, um, uh, it's there, they show, they run some of their best, the best of stuff. And they had a, a thing about when LB, L, how LBJ took charge of the day of the assassination. Oh, I could not. My wife's yelling at me. She's saying, why aren't you coming out here to talk to me? I couldn't put that thing down. And that the, the craft itself is just so exciting to me that I look for those little nuggets. And there's some books, you know, it's the whole book. I can read any Megan Abbott book and just be in love. Yeah. Alison Leota is another one that I really, really like. Um, but most of them, I think about like how Lee Goldberg opens the story, how he starts, sets up the plot. Few do it better than that. It's, it's all about the screen. I can see it on the big screen and that's, you know, it's a long answer to a short question, but those are the things that influence me every day. I have four or five of them right over there and I'll pull one out when I get stuck. <laughs> I love that. Terry, thank you so much for being here today with me. What a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me anytime I get to this spend. This is great. Joy. I know. I yeah. know. I just, I mean, everybody who's watching this is probably just like, what are they talking about? And it's just like, <laughs> she's just like chatting. There's, there's a lot of, um, we have, I think we have a lot of acquaintances in life, but if we're lucky, we maybe there may be our four or five people that really are in our orbit that we totally get. And, you know, when I, uh, my wife says I throw the word love around too easily with people but i you know that that's how that's how i feel about jennifer and gordon i feel like we are kindred spirits that at some point in some past universe 
we were either from the same family or we were in a relationship. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I know. No, the first time I met you, met you, met you, I mean, online, I, I think it was at the Authors on the Air Awards. You're right. That's, yeah. Uh-huh. And I was just like, I just immediately adored you. Who is this weirdo? <laughs> I know. I was like, I, I'm like, this is Terry Shepard. Because <laughs> I'd been hearing about you. And then I went back and like watched your episodes of Authors on the Air. So, well, thank you so much for having me. It's just been a pleasure to be with you. It's been great. Everybody who is watching live or is watching later on the replay, thank you so much. I want to thank Creative Edge for being our sponsor today. I want to thank Pam Stack and Roman Sirotin at the Global Authors on the Air Radio Network. This has been a copywritten podcast by the Global Authors on the Air, and I will see you all next month here on Writer Showcase. But if you can't get enough of me, you can tune into Vox Vomitus next week, Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where myself and my co-host Allison Martin will be talking to Alma Katsu. Oh my gosh. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Yeah.